Welcome to the Brizo Magazine podcast. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different from what we normally do. And that's because today we're publishing a recording of one of our interviews we've done. The original interview was conducted and article published in March of 2019, and the subject was Caitlin Whiteley, who was the winner of our poetry competition for our second issue of 2019, Renaissance. The original spoken interview with Caitlin took around an hour, if not more. So when I wrote the article itself, I cut it down, filtered it into some of her best responses, and chopped out some extraneous details and conversations I felt were not immediately pertinent to the subject at hand. However, I found our conversation so deeply profound and moving, and her character overwhelmingly amazing, that I thought I would be remiss not to include the original soundbite of us talking. Due to the fact that that recording had been published prior to this podcast, that is what you will be listening today as you go through this episode. Caitlin and I's original conversation. Extremely unfiltered, extremely casual, and not recorded well as it was done on an iPhone. It was never intended to be published anywhere, but she was so outstanding I couldn't help myself. Therefore, this podcast will be split up by her reading of her poem, the introduction I wrote in the article for her, and our hour-long interview. I know it's long, but I can promise you it's worth it, as, in my opinion, Caitlin is one of the brightest minds I've ever had the pleasure of coming into contact with, maybe in my entire life. If you, as a listener, can reap as much meaning from this conversation as I could from being part of it, I know you'll enjoy this episode. Spring, written by and read by Caitlin Whiteby. My ribs once were white pale wave breakers, famine struck desert ridges until the spring came. Bit by bit, the soil filled them over, rich and heavy, wet, damp and flushed, thick with the promise of life. I dug my hands in there. I scrabbled back for the sand, the sharp sting of salted earth. Birth and the bloom of flowers there sickened me. But every storm swell that burst, every April shower tear, fed that soil, fed the sage-wet tendrils that threatened to burst forward between, from the dips between bones, and every finger scrape searching desperate for bare mountain ridge under skin, dug trenches for the seeds to germinate. After the ribs, the flush bloom swell began to spread. Gardens began to colonise me, slivers of baby new, baby soft greenery, in places that used to be cold. The rock ridges of my hips padded out with gem-bright algae. The valley of my stomach shivered with white jasmine and dew-heavy violets. The flats of my thighs thick with ivy and flat petal poppies. At first, I dug them up. Tried to starve the stalks, dry out the daisies. I prayed for my fingers to germinate into winter birch branches that I could curl down my throat and purge out these new seeds. These new seeds that turned my body from sharp, cold, jagged to plush, round, soft. I wanted back my deserts and ridges. I felt safe in their bitter wind and cloud-heavy skies. The colours of me safe, dying, withered, in the seed box of my chest. But then, but then when I bit into a juice-heavy orange, sun bright and swollen, but then when I let ice cream melt around my mouth, but then when I let cherry dark fruits crack bloody and sweet on my tongue and smile with their juice on my teeth, but then when I ate, I watched as the flowers bloomed brighter and the garden rows of my newly soft ribs spilled kaleidoscope petals and jade-bright leaves over the broken garden fences where my ribs used to break through. But then I fed my garden, trailed soft fingers across its roots, and still felt the urge, the itch, to pull them up, leave an ice-slick mountain range of a girl behind, the sharp, quiet, thin girl I was before. But then the butter-gold burst of seeds in my garden's heart flutter from me. And I watch my flowers push through in the places and the people that I pass. Amethyst soft petals of kindness, sea green strength, ginger bronze blooms hung heavy with determination. And then the grey world of starve and sleep and shrink 
That winter wild I wrapped myself in is overgrown with roses, mint leaves, and the sun-drenched smell of iris. The winter wild bursts into colour. I burst into colour. And for once, for once in my life, I give myself over to the bloom. Kate Whiteley is from a small coastal town in South Wales. Having grown up surrounded by the countryside and the beach in the world of Wordsworth poetry and prose, she weaves literary magic even in the most candid of conversation. Kate and I spoke for almost an hour, and in interviewing her, I was captivated by her beautiful mind and her deep insights into the societal and cultural structures of our world and their subsequent connection to standards of beauty and gender dichotomies. In the recording, you can hear construction site sounds, the ice in my cup clinking because I was drinking coffee, and a ton of white noise. Despite it all, the conversation is dynamic, interesting, and transforms from its original conversational springboard to a new dimension of cultural critique. Start the recording. I apologize in advance if I ramble. I tend to do that quite a lot. That's what I need. That's what I want. so, do you want to give us like any any background on yourself? Like, you know, you're from Wales. Yes, yeah. um, I'm from a very small coastal town in South Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not very patriotic, and then I came here, and I am like, I bleed dragons, <laughs> um, and I have like, I'm living with the only other girl I've met who's from Wales, mm-hmm. and she, her uncle, is my dad's best friend, and we didn't know oh, each wow. other in a testament to how small Wales is, how but funny. it's it's so beautiful, and yeah. I've grown up in mostly countrysides and yeah. the beach, so I think that's influenced me a lot. And For sure. Like Wordsworth and all of them wrote in Wales, so it's, yeah. I feel like it's a massive literary history. Yeah. And that's why I really like writing poetry, especially because there's a tradition in Wales called the Bard. So every year on the 1st of March, there's a celebration called the Eisteddfod. And like it's a celebration of music and poetry and art. And mm-hmm. a person gets crowned for their poetry, the Bard. Oh, wow. And they like get knighted and sat on this fancy chair and, and things. And um, they become like the bard of Wales, so yeah. the song, songstress and poem, poet of Wales. So I, that's always been my dream and Aww. since I was little, so I think it's encouraged me to write a lot more because I've always been like, I want to be the bard. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah sorry. So, yeah, that's, that's Wales. Wow. That's, so, yeah. so have you, so ever since you were young, you wanted to be like a writer or a poet or... Uh, a little bit of both. I normally, I'm not normally a poetry writer recently. I, I kind of write more prose stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw the theme and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And it's like the first time I've written poetry in ages. Really? And, um, yeah, no, it was really nice. I used to write it a lot when I was younger and very mm-hmm. angsty teen. And I read, yeah. I found it the other day and I was like, oh, Caitlin, what are you what doing? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, just like penned to the boy in my maths class. Like, oh, why have you done this? <laughs> no, um... I yeah I just saw the theme and it was actually really like cathartic for me it mm. helped a lot it was it was really nice and yeah. I, ever since you like you guys launched Brizzo I've always been like creeping on Brizzo because it's so interesting and the perspectives that you guys have about the economy and international relations and just I love to read them because I feel like I'm educating myself so much more but they're not patronizing either oh, I just think they're brilliant and my friend Lizzie um was thinking I I don't know if she yes. does film um reviews I remember, I think we've emailed back and forth, but she was, like, on the fence, I yeah. think, because she was very busy. And she's very comedy-based, and she was like, oh, goodness. <laughs> so, but we've always been, like, a massive admirer, and then when we saw it, I was like, oh, my goodness, I have to try. Oh but God. I never, ex- like, I know everyone's like, oh, I never expected, but we were actually in a poetry open mic night mm-hmm. um, when you emailed, and, like, I was, like, umming and ahhing about reading something, yeah. and then I was like, no, 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 I can't. Um, and then, like, I'd almost forgotten about the competition, because I yeah. was like, oh, I'm never going to get anywhere with it um, and I know that's like a really faux humble thing to say but genuinely <laughs> I like completely forgot and then I like the message came up on my phone yeah. and I was like oh it's probably like a oh thank you for submitting yeah but, um like uh, so I clicked on it and then I almost clicked straight back off it because I was like oh, that's nice of them to message and then I was like oh goodness <laughs> but no it was such an honor like I'm oh my shocked I'm like tearing up that is really 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 sweet wow wow I'm like that's so Kind, but no, like, I mean, you, you are so talented. That poem was absolutely gorgeous. And you had so many amazing, um, like, lines in there. Oh, it's just gorgeous. Thank You're you so, so talented. Much, I don't know what to say. No, no, no. <laughs> it, when we read it, we we were just like, I mean, it's like, it, it, she's just knocked it out of the park. It was so, <laughs> so good. Thank you. Um, genuinely, I genuinely don't know what to say. But no, that no. means the world to me, honestly. Um, the Like, it sort of hints about it in the poem, but um, a lot of... I have uh, had a lot 
a lot of like not issues but struggles mm-hmm. with image and self-image and yeah. body things and um to be complimented on the way that I write it's like being complimented on who I am inside yes. and that's yeah. such a rare feeling for me it makes me feel like more than just yeah. a shell and it's so it I can't describe how much it means but oh. genuinely thank you so yeah. so much like, I mean I I totally get that I think that like I mean, I didn't, I had, I didn't know you at all. Like, I had no clue who you are, and your, just the the perspective you have in the poem and the language you use and everything. It was, I was just like in total admiration. I was so Thank happy you. that you were excited <laughs> so to win. much. <laughs> like, I still just can't believe it. <laughs> but, um, so when when it comes to writing in general, you've been doing it since you were young, yeah? Uh, yeah, very, very small. I um, I have an older brother and sister, but they're a lot older, mm-hmm. ten and seven years older. So, yeah. Um, and we, I, our house is and was very much out in the countryside. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent a lot of time with my mum and dad and because yeah. they like got quite busy jobs, like travelling with adults. Yeah. And um, as a result, I learned to read very young because at that time, obviously, like cartoon TV wasn't like big big yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wasn't allowed Nintendo till I was seven robbed personally that robbed. is robbed <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my parents whenever we'd go on holiday it would be such a break for them that they could mm-hmm. spend a lot of time just us and my dad taught me to read at a very young age yeah um, and like ever since that point I have just been in love with words um, yeah. I just think there's such a power to them mm-hmm. uh, like I like I don't, I don't want to say it because it sounds really pretentious no. but um, I went I was part of this uh, group called Lessons from Auschwitz mm-hmm. um, it's part of the Holocaust Educational Trust so you get to speak to survivors of the Holocaust and you get to visit Auschwitz and um, what I was most struck by is we got to uh, talk to this lady Eva Clark and she talked about how we can't see the n- people who collaborated with the Nazis just the everyday mm-hmm. people I know this is a bit seems a bit no, wild no, no, no. but bear with yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, as monsters because that dehumanizes them and that suggests that we are morally better than them and it could never happen again Mm -hmm. and she said you know in 1933 Goebbels told Hitler that he couldn't include anything about um the Jewish question which vile um in any of his work uh because it would you know people weren't and but then in 1938 in Kristallnacht in the space of five years people were willingly turning on their neighbors and friends and that's because of words Mm -hmm. like swords and guns fight wars but words start them i think if you can wield the power of words and and in a time as we are in with demagogues and abusers in positions of such high power if you can have a command over words you have a command over the truth and Mm. you can help people to grow and develop and see things in that way and i think that's infinitesimally important and because of those sort of interlocking strands writing felt like the next step I remember like my best friends when I was little were Alice in Wonderland and Sleeping Beauty I was very like solipsistic as a child I spent a lot of time on my own and um, I remember opening books and just being fascinated by the fact that you could be in you know 18th century England or like Wonderland in a completely different place just through looking at words and I thought if I could do anything I'd want to create those pictures for people and I think aside from their political importance words have a means of providing joy and providing mm-hmm. comfort and allowing people to feel all of their emotions, whether it's sadness or happiness or lust or hatred mm-hmm. or envy, you don't feel alone through words. And as someone who has spent a lot of time alone, that was so important to me that mm-hmm. I could read the words of other people and know that my emotions weren't weird or strange. Yeah. And, um, and so if I could have done that for anyone else, and especially the subject of the poem is about... Um, I don't want to no, no, trigger great. or <laughs> yeah. say anything um, upsetting, but yeah. it's about uh, eating disordered issues mm-hmm. and mental health issues in general. And I feel like those are such isolating, lonely diseases. You don't yeah. feel connected to anyone else. You feel strange. Like, everyone else just is thin, right? Yeah. Everyone else is just perfect and happy. Yeah. Um, so if I could say, look, you can feel like this... Yeah you aren't alone and I think that's really important to me is that I think a lot of the time emotions are devalued in society mm-hmm. and you're just meant yeah. to suck it up and get over it and that's yeah. not the case and so that's a very long ramble but oh, writing yeah. has all those important threads to me it's like one of the only ways that 
I feel like I can make a mark, but also help myself in yeah. that way. And that sounds very selfish, but yeah. just it's a whole combination of things, but it's incredibly, incredibly yeah. important. I mean, at the end of the day, like art is like helping other people by helping yourself. I feel like, exactly. you know, like going through catharsis in order to help other people realize they need catharsis or in, or in order to like trigger their catharsis and, and emotional like processing of, of certain issues. Exactly. You're exactly right. And I also find that it can be a marker of joy or a marker of a, an emotion at a certain mm-hmm. time. I feel like as much as we like to put stock into our memories, they are unreliable. Yeah. Like the way that I remember things will be completely different from the way you do or yeah. anyone else. It's very subjective, but also the way I remember things today will be very different from the way I remember things five years ago, yeah. 10 years, ten years in the future. And um, I actually felt like a very big hypocrite when I sent that poem in because uh, I, I was diagnosed three, three-ish years ago yeah. um, after my grandfather passed away. And for the first time, I wrote it over Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like I wrote a sort of outline, and then when I saw the theme, mm-hmm. I was like, "Okay, I can crystallize these yeah, ideas." Yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounded so pretentious. I'm so no, sorry. No, it, was <laughs> it was like a poem. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm like very like, oh gosh, I sound like an idiot. No, you, but you, I promise, <laughs> I like believe me when I say you you do not. Like I'm blown away. First of all. By your vocabulary, by your eloquence, you. by your this is more than I like could ask. Big shout out to Debbie and Alan. <laughs> Thank you, Debbie and Alan. Um, no, I'm for making I'm, me read and not giving me a Nintendo, even though I did hate you for it at the time. <laughs> even though I was robbed. Um, yeah, so yeah. it sort of drew it all together, and it was the first Christmas in three years that I ate and I joked with my family mm-hmm. and like leaving the bathroom, I wasn't like frantically checking for like. <laughs> evidence of what I'd just done and I went to Paris with my boyfriend and we ate 12 macaroons each in one day which is a personal achievement (laughs) and cheesy pasta and I drank wine and it was brilliant and beautiful and I felt like most like myself that I had for a long time and then I came back here and I love St Andrews and Mm -hmm. I love my friends and it's a beautiful place but being independent and being in such a high pressure environment it puts a lot of stress on things and uh, Obviously, having a Christmas where you can eat what you want has an effect on your body. Yeah. And I went into a bit of a spiral afterwards, and I was like, oh, I feel like such a hypocrite sending this poem out saying that recovery is easy and I'm there mm-hmm. and I've done it. And you can do it too uh, when I didn't feel like that. It was yeah. very non linear. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm a liar. <laughs> and um, it was sort of the one moment this, and when you emailed me to be like, this poem's one. Um, madness um, <laughs> and the other point was that I knew a girl who had st- struggled too um and for the first time she spoke about it mm-hmm. um when she she had struggled when she was a lot younger and was in a very good place now but she just had never spoken about it because obviously these things are very especially I find obviously men can suffer from eating disorders too yeah. and that's a massive um misconception about eating disorders is that there are only female illnesses mm-hmm. um but I find that when it affects women so much more, you're just meant to be silent about yeah. it and just work it out. That's a woman's problem. Don't be too emotional. Yeah. Don't talk through it. And um, so she spoke about it and she messaged me and was like, I did this because I'm very vocal on Instagram and mm-hmm. stuff like that about being body positive and the difficulties of getting better and the difficulties of society. And yeah. I was like oh god if I'm putting this out there and then privately not doing so well um am I a liar am I a hypocrite and then I reread the poem and it made me see that I was there once yeah I got there once and I can get there again so I think art is brilliant in that way in that it is a physical reminder of how you feel at that time yeah um at that moment I was the happiest I'd been in years I was I was and am very much in love with my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. I was connecting with my family. I was laughing with my friends. Mm-hmm. And it made me realise that whatever satisfaction that I was getting at the minute from being smaller was nothing compared to that of blooming, of bursting. Yeah. And that's a very uncomfortable sensation of like bursting out of your shell and being bigger because we're taught so much to be smaller. smaller yeah. um, but it reminded me that none of this could compare to the feeling of that and that helped me through and it was cathartic then and it was cathartic now to read it and it still is um I 
found that it helped me a lot. And I remember speaking to my dad about sending it in and, and things like that because he's very like, Caitlin, you're in university once, put yourself out there. <laughs> um, please, <laughs> I just need to sleep. <laughs> but I told him about it and he was like, oh, what's the theme of the poet of the, the competition? Mm -hmm. and I explained that it was growth and blooming and, and things like that. And he was like, well, why is your poem so sad? Whereas my mum read it and she found it like joyous and yeah. beautiful, which I thought was just very interesting on that the nature of poetry. Yeah. But he was like, oh... Because growth isn't a bad thing. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's a very, not to be misandrous, but that's a very male thing to say. Exactly, yeah. Because men are always taught that growth is obviously better. Yeah. Physical growth <clears throat> is better, which has its own host of toxic yes. masculinity problems. But physical growth, mental growth is better. That's progress. That's yeah. developing. Whereas women, growth is a very, very feminine issue, I yes. think, because it, there's the growth of your body, which is always in our culture at least, seen as a very negative thing. But also if you grow in the sense that you want to speak out about things, or you want to write out about things, or you want to help people or, or change things, mm -hmm. if you don't want to accept it anymore, um, that growth is negative. You know, you can see the way that we treat female politicians like yeah. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Mm -hmm. I love her so much. She, oh, she's such an icon. A queen. <laughs> an absolute queen. <laughs> like, she is growing... Uh, like physically uh, in her age mm -hmm. but as a person and half of the media of the world is continuously attacking her yeah we have female writers who don't get criticized in the same way as male writers they get more so exactly. because if you try and outgrow the position in society that you've been taught to have mm -hmm. it isn't necessarily a positive thing mm -hmm. and I found that the poem for me was sort of taking back the idea of growth yeah. and making it a positive thing for me but Absolutely. it ceased to be in my head don't over don't overgrow, don't become a weed, don't outstay out your welcome, don't yeah, yeah, yeah. overspeak. Whereas the poem felt like, for me, um, I found it was like myself telling myself, sorry, it's a bit compl yeah, compl complicated in my galaxy brain, <laughs> um, but it was myself telling myself that it's okay to have a voice and Absolutely. it's okay to be wild and intense and too much mm -hmm. I hate that phrase and it's like too much you're either too cold or too emotional or you're this that and the other yeah. and that's down to a lot of my friends in university I have some like Lizzie and um, my friend Rebecca and French mm -hmm. Mima and Orla um, they've taught me a lot what it means to be a woman and that necessarily being quiet and being small while it might, while it might be acceptable it's not mm -hmm. incredible and yeah. I think everyone wants to be incredible in different ways but I don't know, that's that's how the poem helped me. Yeah. Um, and I found it very interesting that my dad felt it very alien to be yeah. like, and my brother and even my boyfriend who is, like, tries to be as woke as possible. <laughs> um, he was like, you know, I've never thought of growth as a negative thing. I've always been commended on growth. Mm -hmm. Whereas my mum, my friends, when they read it, yeah. they were like, yeah, I've always felt, there's always yeah. been a time, I'm not saying that, in all men's life that there isn't because I'm sure it's a very personal thing but mm -hmm. for all women there's probably been a time uh, well, for all the women that I know there has been a time whether it's months or whether it's a single moment where you felt too much yeah. too big too overgrown and this is my way of trying to tell myself and hopefully tell other people but I don't pretend that it has an effect on anyone else because it was a catharsis project for me I guess mm -hmm. but um that that's not necessarily, that yeah. doesn't always have to be a bad thing. Um, yeah. Maybe suppressing it is the bad thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've just talked way too much. I'm so sorry. <laughs> what you're saying is so gorgeous. I have like goosebumps. Like I, I think that that is such a beautiful, beautiful description of, you know, or, or insight into your poem because it's funny, like Althea and I read it and I read it as a joyous poem, as a, I mean, they, it's bittersweet, of course, because there is that, the beginning where you're talking about like, becoming smaller and like you know not blooming per se um but there's the overcoming of the struggle into where you say I give myself over to the bloom and like that I like I think we read it as just this like feminine you know not necessarily for women but just like it, the energy of it is very feminine you know because being told to shrink is very feminine it's like this fe like celebratory feminine moment of like I'm going to just be big and I'm going to bloom and I'm and I think the connection of of shrinking and growing and, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, connecting it to nature is so beautiful as well because that also has, 
like to me it has like fe- like mother nature mm. there's like that feminine ties of it and like there's the nurturing element but there's also the fact that you know mother nature isn't always just small meek and mild like she like rages against the world you that's know so beautiful that is so beautiful you <laughs> can tell you're a poet. like that's incredible <laughs> but so i mean like that i think you're you're seeing the the difference between your mother's interpretation and your father's interpretation i think that's extremely culturally important and valid because there is it's based on how you're raised you know that poem can be completely different and i think for many people who've been told to shrink re- when they read it it's going to be like a beautiful celebratory moment it i remember reading it and it, it just was so moving to me because i think everyone i think you're right everyone can really relate to having a moment where they feel like they have to shrink and then either they have given themselves over to the bloom and they know the good things on that side or they're hoping to one day it's just so moving it's so brilliant and I think that what I found is you know when I was saying that I went through a bit of a spirally time after I'd written it and I was like oh gosh I'm a liar (laughs) I lied Um, I what my friend Lizzie said and I like she encapsulated it perfectly for me is that she talked I'd, I'd sent her the poem yeah. I sent Lizzie everything before I sent anything oh. anywhere she has such good taste um <laughs> she read it and then I was like oh is this hypocritical to send it in because she knew that I'd been struggling and she was like well no if you think about it every plant goes through seasons yeah. of bloom and with withdrawal and retreat and yeah. she was like no one can exist fully in bloom all the time that yeah nature can't do that yeah um it's like you said equally as likely to be a single violet as to be a storm yeah Um, yeah and both of those things are worthy and valid and i i i'm so glad that you read it as a celebration because i think like you said it tells you about who you are and how you've been brought up and Mm -hmm. how you've experienced life in the way that you either focus on the giving yourself over forgetting to be tamed and forgetting to be this perfect English rose garden yeah. and becoming I don't know um, an overgrown ivy bursting through yeah. windows um, or you focus on the like part of you the part of the person in the poem that still so, like seeks to be dead and yeah. withered and safe yeah. because it's safer to be quiet and it's safer to be smaller because that was what stood out to me is that my dad focused on why would anyone want to be smaller why would anyone want to be withered yes because he has never experienced and I love my dad and he is very interested in and very supportive of women in the workplace and Mm -hmm. women he's never treated me any differently from my brother um but I think that's the like the cultural legacy of the way that boys and girls are raised and the way that obviously there's more than those just those two genders but speaking specifically about the male female divide that he saw it my boyfriend saw it my brother saw it as why would anyone want to be smaller yeah whereas every girl that I showed it to every woman that I showed it to knew that and knew Mm -hmm. that longing for safety and that longing for at least if I'm quiet no one will bother me at least Mm -hmm. If I'm contained and pretty, maybe someone will pick me and put me in a jar. Yeah. No one... It's scary, it's frightening to be out there and to, like, bear the... I don't want to say seeds of your soul, because it sounds yeah, so pretentious, but, but yeah. to bear that. It's mm-hmm. difficult and Very it's difficult. scary, but there is a beauty in that. There's Absolutely. a beauty and there's a value in wanting to be smaller because it shows you where we need to change and mm-hmm. how we need to change, and it shows you volatility of human emotion um in that way but at the same time there is more beauty in letting yourself just be Mm -hmm. um and letting yourself just grow whatever it may be and I think at different times the different parts of that poem speak more to me than others so when I'm joyous and wild (laughs) I read the parts of me that the bits that stand out to me are the bits where I'm like even if I'm happy, even if I'm eating, there is some part of me that wants to go back to that quiet, scared place. Um, Because it reminds me that I may be great now, but there's still places to work on, there's still people to go, and you always are improving, everyone is always growing. Yeah. (laughs) That's the theme, like, you know, when they say in an episode or, like, a film, and they say the film title, and you're like, like, aha! (laughs) (laughs) um, No, there's, like, you're always growing. um, But then when I am the seed husk when I am trying to 
cover or hide myself. I read the blooming point and remember that I can get there and when mm-hmm. I am there I am better than I have ever been. Yeah. And like not to swear but like F anyone who says yeah. different, F anyone yeah. who tells you or any girl, any woman or anyone. Yeah. But um specifically girls because I feel like it is such a like I, I have a lot I obviously don't have younger cousins but I uh, younger sisters but I have a lot of younger cousins mm-hmm. and I have heard so many sad things mm-hmm. that you know I still remember it like hit me then and it still hits me now that we every Tuesday <laughs> sorry to be like my family history yeah. um, every Tuesday we go down to my my nana's my mm-hmm. grandmother's in Swansea and um, when we were little she always used to do a, like a party tea so like finger sandwiches and like pasties and yeah. like, cute little cakes and stuff and I remember one time my younger cousin um, who was a lot younger than me she was around seven at the time so I must have been 13, 14 mm-hmm. um, she wasn't eating and I was like what's wrong with you? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, because <laughs> um, I hadn't I'd always been quite self-conscious, I think most people are, but mm-hmm. um, I'd never really projected that image onto myself as because of my, I was a very chubby kid. And mm-hmm. like, I think back and I was like, she she really lived her best life. Like, <laughs> five packets of quavers in a day, and now I'm like, that's impressive. Yeah, like, good for yes, her. Good, good, yeah. good for you, younger kid. But, um, so I was like, why aren't you eating? Like, yeah, there's many sandwiches. <laughs> and um, she was like, oh, well, um, I read a magazine that Selena Gomez doesn't eat between these two hours, so I'm not eating between these hours. And she was seven. Um, my cousins, I've got two beautiful cousins in Ireland that are like my little sisters. They're yeah. very, very young. But still, as Connie, the eldest, grows older, I can see her learning to be quiet and yeah. see her learning to hold herself in and not be curious. Yeah. Like, when she was two or three, she still, she adores animals. All mm-hmm. she's ever wanted to do is be a vet and she loves dogs and she oh, she's <laughs> the sweetest thing um but as she's grown older like her dreams get smaller and smaller and smaller and my auntie and my uncle think the world of them and they tell them every day and like you know we all like my mum me and my auntie are always buying them you know the books you can get in waterstones it's like a hundred great women and stuff like that and I'm like let's talk about Frida Kahlo let's go guys (laughs) she went dressed as Frida Kahlo to world book day last year so hopefully it's working (laughs) but Mm -hmm. um so even if you get that parental support even if you get the familial support there is something wrong with the culture that needs to change and her younger sister Madeline is wacky and like mad scientist and she is wild (laughs) like as a quick aside sorry I'm rambling I love them so much I just want to talk about them all the time Um, they she her they have an older brother and he was teasing Connie um, as older brothers do yes and she you know came into my auntie like was quite upset like oh Daniel's making fun of me so my auntie went in to go and shout at him and Madeline who was like three at this point in time Daniel was very into Star Wars and he had lightsabers. So yeah. she picked up the lightsaber, like, strode in ahead of my auntie, who was kind of, like, following her, like, oh, God, what's she going to do? And, like, she pointed at Daniel and his friend and were like, you mess with my sister, I'll chop your head off. And, like, went like that. Oh, so Madeline, wild. She's going off. She's good. And it terrifies me that she yeah. will be taught to be smaller and quiet and contained because I love that she's mad. I yes. love that she's beautiful and crazy. Yeah. And, like, even now, my closest friends, who are incredible and the strongest women that I know, Mm -hmm. like, they will apologise for taking too much at dinner. They will apologise for crying. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, you're allowed to cry. You're allowed... Or, like, they'll talk about things in lectures. Like, my friend Rebecca, um, we were doing this Waiting for Godot play in English, which Mm -hmm. I absolutely hated. But (laughs) Rebecca loved. And... Mm -hmm the author of that was talking about how he didn't want women in his productions back in the 1950s, but still pertinent. But um, he was like, oh, I don't want women in production. And then in film this year, we've been studying cyclical time and how, like, soap operas are designed for women because their time is seen as less valuable and less... Mm -hmm. And um, she connected those two things and she was telling me about all this stuff and I was like, you are the most fascinating person (laughs) I've met in my life. Like, oh my God, how are you so smart? And then at the end, instead of being like, I'm clever as hell, I'm so smart, I'm amazing. Um, she was like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to speak too much. Or yes. I didn't mean to, I've never been in a tutorial with a boy who has apologised for speaking too much or mm-hmm. has apologised for caring too much yeah. or reading or being interested in things. Mm-hmm. But if a girl, like, in every tutorial, if I, like, we had one on gender history last week, 
and oh, yesterday, oh my god, days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was talking about Sally Hemings mm-hmm. um, and how in Monticello with like Thomas Jefferson. Mm-hmm. That's the right Shirley? One. I'll, I'll fact check later. <laughs> yes, um, she was his slave, and for years in his house, there was her bedroom was blocked off by a bathroom that was renovated in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And they never knew why this like random bathroom had been put in and they'd finally chipped away and they discovered it was her bedroom. Mm-hmm. And like the article reporting it called her his mistress. Mistress implies consent. Mistress yeah. implies... I was like, she was his slave. Mm-hmm. He, like, not to be triggered, but he raped her. He yeah. used her. Don't call him a mis- like her and mistress. Her yeah. mistress. And I went off yeah. on this in gender history. And I was exp- like, it's something that I'm really passionate about. Yeah. And at the end, I was like, I am so sorry. Like, I shouldn't have cared about that. I shouldn't have gone on about yeah. that. And my tutor, who is also a woman and mm-hmm. has been in academia, uh, academia, academia for yeah. a bit long, obviously a bit, a bit longer, mm-hmm. a few years longer than me. And she was like, don't ever apologise. And she was like, that's the, the worst thing that women have to contend with in academia and in every profession. But obviously she was speaking from an academic perspective. Yeah. She was like, is that need to be quiet? Yes. And I have just rambled completely and been like, feminist. But, um, and I'm just being hypocritical. I was saying, about to say, don't you dare apologise. Don't you dare apologise. Um, that really got to me that she was like, that is the most that you have to, the worst thing that you mm-hmm. have to contend with is that women feel the need to say sorry for existing. And I think yeah. that's part of the whole cultural nexus is that you're taught, taught, taught to be smaller, dream smaller, talk smaller. Yeah. And it's like, it's time for that to stop. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. time for women to just live and be as natural as you said. I loved what you said about Mother Nature. <laughs> like, she doesn't care when she's Mm-mm. battering down the hatches no. in no. the front. And why should we? Why should exactly. everything else be allowed to grow and flourish yeah. and be as they are? And we spend our entire lives pruning ourselves. Like, exactly. no, it's stupid. Yeah. And I'm fed up of it. Yes, <laughs> yes. And that's what the poem is about, is being fed up of trying to trim yourself and being angry yeah. the whole idea in your head that you have to be smaller. Because yeah. no one else was telling me, like... My parents, that they always were very confused when I was really suffering because food has always been a massive part of our family life. Yeah. Like, my mum is the best cook. <laughs> um, and serves portions that are, like, this big. <laughs> but that has always been her way of showing love and that's always been a massive part of our family is mm-hmm. sharing food. And my dad was like, you know, my mum is very curvy, like all the Jenkins women are. Um, that's my first time. Um, obviously, um, um, like, my dad is... As I always said, you know, no one's telling you to be smaller. Like, no yeah. one has sat you down and said that you're too big. Yeah. And I was like, well, you haven't, but this is like news, not to be like society. No, but yeah. But newspapers have, yeah. magazines have, films have, TV shows, books. Um, and even that translates into real things. Yeah. I remember like the first time being conscious of the fact that I wasn't, I didn't look like everyone else. Like, not to be like I didn't know I'm so edgy and no, no, no. singular but I, I was a bit bigger than the yeah. other girls in my school was when I was 13 and we were like on a swimming pool trip um we were on a skiing trip but we were in a swimming pool yeah and this boy told my best friend he was like oh she was she was and is gorgeous um Molly she was like oh he was like oh go go and I, I bet you can't go and like lie in the snow outside and me and my brother have been skiing before and we'd done many competitions about who can, like, get closest to frostbite. Yeah. And I was like, I can, like, watch me! And he was like, why would I want to see a whale out of the water? And I remember being, like, hit for the first time, like, oh, God, I don't look like other people. And yeah. then there was, like, thunder thighs. There was, oh, I don't think that dress is right for you. Or magazines, like, oh, if you're pear-shaped, dress in tucked-in waist. Yeah. And, continuously while my parents have never sat me down but everything else yeah. has and I'm done with it yeah <laughs> I'm done with it and I know it sounds hypocritical for me I know that I'm still very privileged that I am a white woman I am I conscribe to Eurocentric standards of beauty so mm-hmm. my issues is just my issues are just with my weight and I know there are so many more horrible terrible things the way we treat women of color mm-hmm. the way we treat people of color the beauty standards that are imposed on like disabled people yeah. like i'm very very lucky that i am only affected by a very very small part of it yeah but that small part it was part of a bigger whole and yeah. we need to change that there shouldn't be a beauty standard because yeah. 
like I, there's a brilliant account on Instagram, but what they posted the body posy panda. She's great. Love that. <laughs> She's great. Um, she posted different photos of flowers, and I know that seems like a very like sugary sweet saccharine way to like talk about body image, mm-hmm. but um, there was like these big poppies filled with veins mm-hmm. and little tiny rosebuds or like yellow flowers that had crimped petals, and she was like you got stretch marks and veins well no one so does this poppy and no one says that's beautiful yeah, like yeah. bad um you have scars so does this yellow flower and like compared them all yeah. and she was like no one compares one flower to another they're all beautiful they're all allowed to bloom in different ways so why do we do it with people yeah and I know that's a very reductive and very simplistic way to discuss body image because I know there's so much more that we talk about in terms of like the economic th- uh imperatives yeah, yeah. of the beauty industry and the weight industry and like I like I mentioned the implications on racial beauty the way we yeah. treat different races like so it's a very very simplistic way to to deal with it and obviously understanding and becoming body positive is a lot more difficult than being like I look different to her but I'm still beautiful because yeah. like I still struggle with the way that I look every single day even though I try to put out a source of like everyone is beautiful yeah. so I know that's very reductive but I think at its core it's true that no one judges no one says a tree is more beautiful than a leaf no one yeah. says a petal is more beautiful than a stalk they're just allowed to be yeah. and just allowed to be beautiful um, yeah. and that's the way that we should treat people sorry I'm very aware that I've just gone off again no, 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 on no. a rumble I, I, but I adore it I really do I love how your poem you know because um when you read it for the first time, I think it's quite, like, as as a reader, I personally think I could understand the metaphor of the connection to an eating disorder or, you know, body image issues. But I, th- I really adore how you've taken it to, you know, an, an even deeper level in discussing, you know, it's not just physical. It's mm. it's shrinking in any form. But at the end of the, at the, end of the day, you know, you're right. A, a potted plant is never going to overgrow, but it's never, never going to become a garden either. Yeah. So... It, I, I love what you said about like women like, pruning themselves. That's, I mean, so prevalent and so relevant in 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 today's like conversation of the world. And I think it also connects to. We actually have an article on this coming in Renaissance. It's gonna be a very positive issue. We love positivity. <laughs> we love positivity. Um, in well, we had someone who wrote about um, uh, like happiness, and we had someone who or happiness and like is it you know, no one's happy 24-7 and that's okay. And Mm. discussing how we need to be okay being other emotions. Mm. Um, And then we also had one on, like, it was your relationship with yourself and, like, your achievements and everything and emotional vulnerability as well. Mm. And I think your poem can also tie into that where it's, you know, allowing yourself to be like, I'm going to scream, I'm so angry, I'm going to cry, I'm upset, I'm going to jump with joy. I think women are oftentimes told to just kind of be very meek and mild and like... Neutral. Pleasant. <laughs> yeah, pleasant all, at all times. Like, yeah. even in horrible situations, I'm pleasant. And, I mean, I think we can say the same for... If we take it to a racial level, a lot of times white people are allowed to, like, scream their heads off oh. in a store. But, you know, any person of color can be... The angry it, black woman. Exactly. Or at the at the at the cost of you know for some reason representing their entire race or even subject to violence you know so I think the discussion of like give yourself over to the bloom be too much be too big you know be the whole ass yeah. mother nature raging against the world you know go off go off this <laughs> I think yeah I think it's I mean you're, you're brilliant no but that's that's like you are brilliant and that's like, <laughs> thank you you've made me think about things that I've like not thought about for a long time and I love what you said about about people of color and how emotion creates um, on the controlling of emotion mm-hmm. And the societal, like, implications that we put on different emotions create suppression. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend Rebecca was talking about the other day, um, Christine Blasey Ford and mm-hmm. Kavanaugh. And um, how he, when he was very emotional on the stand, um, it was seen as proof that he was being legitimate. Yeah. Uh, whereas she had to be completely neutral, completely mm-hmm. unemotional, otherwise she was a liar. Yeah. Um, but then by doing that, they were like, she was too cold, there was no emotion there, so she can't have been telling the truth. Yeah. And it's like, there's the level of men are allowed to show what... Well, that's debatable. Yeah. Because, <laughs> obviously, um, you're, like, there's whole issues with male mental health and toxic masculinity, yeah. but women have to be 
like tread this very fine line yes. but beyond women like people of color have to mm-hmm. to do that too and you know I feel very hypocritical discussing this because who am I I'm a white woman mm-hmm. who's very privileged I don't I can't speak for the for people who suffer in ways that I couldn't even imagine and shouldn't yeah. have to yeah um and I still it blows my mind that we are still saying they shouldn't have to and there are people that disagree with this I know. or people who are like sexism is over racism is over and you're like <laughs> no but it's not <laughs> no it isn't <laughs> quite objectively no. no and that's like that's the thing is that there's a brilliant I think it I think it's Martin Luther King and I always feel that white people use like when there's riots <laughs> people are like MLK wouldn't have believed yeah. in this yeah. was well, he died to begin with he was yeah. he was killed yes. so like you don't get to comment on him. Yeah. Secondly, like he didn't go to the north, or who stopped his campaigns in the north because mm-hmm. he recognised that non-violence wouldn't work there. Yeah. And his, I think it's his son, said that if you shake up a bottle of coke and it explodes, do you blame the bottle of coke or do you blame the hand that shook it? And Ooh, wow. obviously, you blame the hand, <laughs> hand that, that shook, shook it. it. Yeah. And so when women scream or like the marches against Trump people were like oh in the marches for pro-choice people are like why are people getting so emotional it's because this is my body this is my life this is who I am and you're trying to diminish it and taking it away from me and that's the same I I hope I hope I am being uh, I'm not being (laughs) generalizing but I feel like that's the same it's like you're allowed to feel that emotion and I love Mm -hmm. what you said that there's an article about um allowing yourself to feel things other than happy because the like the bloom doesn't have to mean a perfect yellow rose the blue bloom can be thorns the bloom Mm -hmm. can be like 10 foot waves the bloom can be anything you want it to be it's just about letting go of that like plastic band that's wrapped around you Mm -hmm. and that's the thing is that I wrote I started writing thinking it was about my eating disorder Mm -hmm. and realised it was about everything that created my eating disorder, everything that created my insecurity and so much more deeper in me. And, oh, it just frustrates me. (laughs) That gives me goosebumps. That's a beautiful and, like, tragic quote, though. Just That's, yeah. I mean, and that's why I think your art here is is just so incredibly moving. Um, Like, when I I told you when I finished reading it, I was quite teary-eyed. But it was, like, a very bittersweet sort of thing. Because I was, like, it spoke so heavily to me, but it also was so inspiring. Because that sentence, I give myself over to the bloom. What a beautiful sentence. Yeah. Your, your brain is beautiful. I, I, <laughs> Since you, your brain is beautiful. Oh, um, this is very positive. In yes. Here. <laughs> yes, we love that. Um, I wanted to quickly talk about... Um, something that you brought up before and I just I want to know what your insights are on it you know you were talking about how you're feeling kind of hypocritical over because you know of the whole um the poems is very like oh I've got here and you can too even when maybe you you know you go back into struggle and such and I was wondering what you think in general I think a lot of artists struggle with the the thought of hypocrisy you know Mm -hmm. like um a lot of, you know, musicians can write about being independent and whatever, but be heartbroken over yeah. someone. And they're like, oh, what, who am I to sing about, like, girl power when I'm, like, heartbroken over somebody? Yeah. And uh, because your brain is beautiful. I'm just, <laughs> I'm wondering how you, what your perspective on that is, like, hypocrisy, art, all that sort of thing. That is an incredible question. <laughs> like, oh, wow. <laughs> I, I have never really thought about that before, which, but I, which is a testament to like your powers of interrogation and your oh, like you questioning society that's incredible and that's so interesting but I think it does come down to like to what the poem is about and what emotion is in general mm-hmm. is that like there are some times that I'm like yes I will never need trust or love a man in my life I am <laughs> fine in myself yeah. I am great yeah. and then the next day I'll be like like Joe, my boyfriend, I'll be like, never leave me or I will, I will die. <laughs> I won't say that to him, obviously, because that's like, can't boost his ego. In yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, there are days, like, there. That is the thing is that what you said before that you get taught to be happy all the time. Yeah. Or like, um, but in general, no one feels any one emotion yeah. at any time. And art, for me at least, is a physical snapshot. It's a physical reflection of mm. how you feel in that moment, in that emotion. And that's beautiful because it's a memory and allows you to 
access that feeling again or it allows you to put that feeling away and mm-hmm. get it out of you. It depends on what the feeling is, whether it's if you're writing a song of happiness or strength or self-celebration. It When you aren't feeling like that, it's something to look forward to and something to try and strive towards again. Yeah. When you're feeling sad or heartbroken or destroyed, um, writing and reflecting that art makes you think, okay, there it is, that's that emotion, done. Okay, I'm going to begin to breathe and move past that yeah. and for anyone to feel any one emotion isn't isn't a realistic expectation so that art maybe how someone is feeling at that point in that time in that great moment mm-hmm. but it's not hypocrisy I would say like hypocrisy to me is saying like you like as the most basic level saying you don't like ice cream and then going and eating like eight tubs of Ben and Jerry's yeah yeah which I feel like I have probably I've done probably done that too, at yeah. some point yeah. in my life <laughs> but um hypocrisy is directly contradicting yourself whereas art is saying I'm not saying I'm happy all the time I'm not saying I am independent all the time I'm not saying I'm heartbroken all the time or, mm-hmm. But in this moment, this is how I'm feeling. Hypocrisy is a fixed statement. It's unchanging. Mm. This is how I am forever. Whereas art is, this is how I am in this moment. And it's fluid. Whereas a statement of your belief or statement of who you are, while it can grow and change as you Mm. grow and change, hypocrisy is when that is is a lie. Whereas art is true in that you feel that way in that moment. You are that emotion or that place or that person in that moment but only in that moment Mm -hmm. and you may be there that person again yeah but it's not a fixed statement it's fluid and that's how I think art avoids hypocrisy in that way is that it doesn't pretend to be permanent it's flexible (laughs) I totally agree and I guess that's one of the most beautiful parts of art is that it is fluid it's it it is fleeting almost you know you read a poem about someone being really happy and you know that like that's how gorgeous is it that for that moment they were they were feeling like that and maybe it went away but like they have that moment yeah and that's very lovely yeah, yeah. no I completely agree yeah all right well I I feel like we have so much to, like I this is so much more than I was expecting I thought Sorry, I was just gonna... I'm just